Content warning. This series will discuss topics that may bring up painful experiences for you. Please take the time to surround yourself with good medicines. If need be, pause the playback and go for a walk, stretch, have a glass of water, and come back to the show when you feel comfortable. Welcome to the Métis Speaker Series. I'm your host, Darian Kovacs. On this podcast series, we will be exploring learning, healing, and rebuilding within the Métis community. Our goal is to create awareness of and generate discussion about Métis issues, as well as how to heal from and move forward in a healthy way. We hope to reduce Métis invisibility in BC through the personal stories from our Métis community members. This show is brought to you by Métis Nation BC and Jelly Marketing. Welcome to Métis Voices podcast, giving Métis people a voice to share about their story and, and where they're coming from. Our starting question, being Métis, what does it mean to you, Christy? First of all, thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. You know, I, I don't really like to do interviews. I'm not self-conscious about it or anything like that. I just maybe give other people space to talk sometimes, I sort of feel like, and I feel like I talk enough or I'm out there enough that I don't need to, you know, take up all the space. Like I say no now about 99% of the time, but I'm down to talk about Métis, you know, our nation, our people, our community, our grandmas. I'm, I'm down to talk about that anytime. So being Métis, what does it mean? It means that we are connected to the earth. We're connected to the lands and waters where our ancestors walked since time immemorial. It means that we are an Indigenous nation amongst many other nations. It means that we hold a sacred responsibility for protecting the earth and the waters and that we carry on the traditions and the knowledge from our people passed down through generations that we carry on the oral history and the languages of those places where we come from and those people that we come from. Now, being a creator, what does it mean creating to you and, and the works that you produce? Well, for me, I don't know about anybody else, but just for me, I know that creating art is something that I've always felt compelled to do since I was a young child. I can remember someone asking me when I was about seven years old, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, like a kid, another kid. And I remember where we were standing. It was kind of this strange sort of random memory that I have. And I said, I'm going to be an artist and a teacher. And I thought, now where did that come from? You know, so sometimes I think like we're all, oh, well, I don't think sometimes, but I know that every single human being is given gifts and we come prepared with those gifts that we that we bring when we when we're born and i have a feeling that art is the gift that i was given not not necessarily in terms of the skill or in terms of if i'm good or not just that it's the gift that i was given to do as a job while i'm here and uh, so creating means fulfilling that which i am driven to do it's in me and i can't really stop it <laughs> if that makes any sense. <laughs> it's 100%. just something I, I have to do. If I don't do it for a while, it's like I get really out of balance. So I have to create. It's it's just 
what I'm compelled to do and what I love to do. Amazing. And connecting those first two questions, being Métis, how does that come across in your art and in your creations? Well, for people who are not familiar with my work, you'd be able to see my work is very grounded in our traditions of beadwork and quill work and embroidery. Our grandmothers and our grandfathers really knew the land like the back of their hand. They knew the waters and they understood the medicines. They understood the interconnection between all living things. And that came out in really vibrant floral beadwork and quillwork and embroidery, which is our artistic legacy, part of our artistic legacy as Métis people. And that's a legacy that I'm carrying on, I suppose, in a modern form. You know, I grew up around Métis beadwork and other nations too, like First Nations items as well. So like moccasins and jackets and, you know, you name it, right? The smell of smoked tan hide is still one of my most favorite smells in the whole world. And I grew up around that. And, you know, I also grew up with mom. My mom really loves to garden. And my mom really loves plants. And she was the one who told me, like, that all plants have a spirit. And so those things came together for me in my early 20s when I wanted to just do nothing but art. So I started to research Vedic. I started to look it up and just really look at it in detail, find out how it was constructed. I started beading myself and then I started looking at all the plants and that took me down a journey of understanding life, I suppose, life on earth in a way that I never would have understood it before, listening to elders' stories and learning from people who knew the medicines and you know, those kinds of things took me on this really long journey. It's a lifelong learning journey of plants and medicines and spirituality. And all of these things come together as one into some kind of representation in my paintings. But my paintings are also a call to action. So they are a call for people to love the earth with the deepest parts of themselves and then to stand up for the earth and the waters because the next generations are really going to need it. It's incredible. As far as your job and your vocation and your practice as an artist, what are some of the the opportunities you've been given or or doors that have been opened because of that? So many because, you know, I remember this this one elder, she was telling me, well, two two elders, I remember one, she, she said, you're, you know, you're going to get a voice, you're going to find your voice. And that, you know, in my early 20s, my late teens, I was so shy that I couldn't even speak in public or anything like that. Like I was not not shy, but just like really I couldn't do anything like that. And then I had to do something. I became, she invited me to speak at this public forum and I think I cried. Like it was terrible. It was very embarrassing. <laughs> it was like I couldn't control. I was so nervous. And then she, at the end of it, she says, you're going to need to suck it up because People are going to need to hear what you have to say. And, you know, you need to get better at this. And she sort of scolded me. And it was a good thing. It was from love. And I love her. And so it was it was all okay. And she was right. And so I learned how to speak. And then my art becomes a place 
where we can have discussions about the environment where I can teach in a way, for example, the painting on the sturgeon. I'm able to convey the things that I learned about the sturgeon, which are fastly becoming extinct. They're on some species at risk lists and the rivers are disappearing. And so we're able to discuss these things or I'm able to say what's on my mind. You know, so the doors that have opened because of the art have led me to people who are like-minded and community and just all that goodness and language. Everything is in there. And so the art has opened a lot of doors that way. And the people that have helped me along the way have, you know, like our communities are really beautiful that way. When we see someone that's young, younger with talent, we'll encourage them. Yeah. We'll buy art from them. You know, like Yvonne McRae, she was an elder, an Ojibwe elder. She bought my first painting for like, wow. I think it was like $100. I wasn't even going to sell it to her. I was like, you can have that. And she said, no, I want to be the first one to buy your painting. Wow, and then one of my second paintings I sent to Alanisa Bomsawin and she still has it. And, you know, like those, those kinds of things, like it meant a lot, you know? Yeah. That's incredible. They have originals. Well, Yvonne's gone now, but just to know that these older women, you know, these grandmothers, these older women, you know, encouraged me by saying, hey, I want that. That's beautiful. You know, and Maria Campbell, like she has for 20 years has encouraged me. And that, that you know, like when, when you have older people that will say, oh, my girl or my boy, or, you know, you, you feel a sense of like love. You feel loved. Amazing. And speaking of grandmas or, or parents, if you ask them who their favorite grandchild is or who their favorite child is, it's a very unfair question to ask. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to ask you this. Do you have a favorite piece that you've created that you want to talk about? Oh, I didn't know where you were going with that question. <laughs> like, don't ask me if I'm my favorite, if I'm a favorite, because I don't think that, that I, I am. But, you know, like, do I have a favorite piece? Not a favorite, but I have pieces where I, I look at them and I say, yeah, you did. You did well on that one. You know, it was constructed well. You took your time. It is a piece of beauty. And that's about the only thing I ever allow myself to say about my pieces. I don't look at them and say, oh, that's good. I look at them and go, oh, I should have done that differently. I see where I'm going to do something differently next time. So it's always almost like I, I critique my own work a lot. And I guess most artists just do that anyway. But that keeps wanting me to the next one, right? Yeah, yeah, pushes you on. Do you, do you put any of your pieces up in your home? Do you have any? I do hang pieces on my walls of my own art. And then I will sell them or give them yeah. away or whatever. So then they'll just rotate out. Like my walls sometimes are really blank and you they're really empty and you wouldn't suspect that going yeah. into an artist's home, but it's it is what it is. Amazing. Uh, is there any artists that you follow that you want to kind of give a shout out to? Any other Métis artists or in, Indigenous artists that you want to say, hey, check out their work. I, I, I'm really loving what they're doing. There's just so many artists right now who I think are doing really amazing work using modern technology and materials. So like Chief Ladybird is uh, somebody who I follow and I really admire because it's not just about their art. It's about 
their message and their body positivity. And it's something that I didn't see growing up. I'm 55. And so a lot of hypersexualization of girls, a lot of the abuse was hidden. A lot of the stuff like it was just really nobody was positive about their body and you weren't taught to be positive about your body, you know? So that that's one artist that I, I look up to. Another one is Erin uh, Consmo. She's Métis and from Lac St. Anne and Onway. And they are two spirit person who is really taking some of the beautiful traditions like fish scale art But then putting modern twists on it, they have a piece right now that's across, I think it's the Delta Hotel in, in Winnipeg, downtown Winnipeg, a great big fish that's been printed and put on the side of a building with, and you can see the fish scale art on there. So they're taking like traditional art and melding it with like digital. That's one person I, I always really look up to. And Jamie Cobell is also a Métis artist who is doing some original things. Like I really like when people take tradition. I, I love traditional art. I love like, like really quality, well-made things. I think every woman, Métis woman does. I don't know. Every, every auntie I've ever known really appreciates a really well-made expensive thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know what it is, we, but we just hone in on like the best quality and you look at the price tag and of course it's going to be the most expensive thing in the shop, right? But I also really admire younger artists who are really being brave with speaking out for two-spirit trans folks, afro-indigenous folks. Like people are really they have the language to use and they're able to convey it in their art. And I really feel like hope because of this next generation that's coming. Amazing. Now, those that are Métis that are listening right now and, and those that are maybe discovering you know, what it means to be Métis, they, you know, they're new to that world, or may they, they may not be Métis and they're listening to the show to, to learn about the Métis world. Why is it important to showcase and put up Métis art in your home and to celebrate Métis visual pieces. It's just important to be proud of who you are, proud of where you come from. And it's important to to really dive into that and understand all the things that make you up to be who you are. As a person, maybe listening to the show, they're they're walking the streets right now. They're they're in downtown Vancouver, they're in Saskatoon, they're in Gatineau, they're in Ottawa, wherever they are right now listening to this episode, they have the option. They can go to Ikea right now and they could go because they, they got a home and they want to put some stuff on the walls. They could go to Ikea and there's a lot of art at Ikea, right? Like really generic, great stuff, right? Nothing wrong with it, but they can get it and cover their walls. They can go to HomeSense and, and do the same thing. What's it mean as an artist to have someone buy your piece and to know that it's going to be in their home? Yeah, well, that That feels really good. I mean, if people want to go buy their art at Ikea, they certainly can. I am really of the kind of mindset that people can do what they want and should have the freedom to do what they want and be judged for what they want. Yeah, no, nothing wrong with it. My sister won't even hang my art up in her house because it doesn't go with her decor. (laughs) Because she's on this sort of very eclectic pink mixing fabrics together. And it just, whatever happens, my art doesn't suit her. So she doesn't have it on her wall. 
So my own sister. <laughs> so so yeah, no judgment from me if you if you're Métis and you don't have Métis art on your wall. That's up to you. But I will say that when people do purchase a piece off of me or they hang up the artwork, my artwork, I understand that what it's doing is it's a reflection of their own pride that they have of their own ancestors and of the places where they come from and, and our traditions and our languages and our, all of those things are reflected in that art. And so they see themselves in that art. And that means a great deal to me because if I can do anything to help a person just connect with that side of themselves that makes them feel proud, then well, job well done on my part. Amazing. So I, I was at a, a Back to Batash festival. I, I, I'd never been before. I went for the first time this year and I was in, they have these homes. Each province has a little hut or a kind of a house of sorts. And I was looking at one of the tables and there was this big kind of box. It was almost like the board game size. And it was teaching you about plants using your artwork. Can you tell us about this? It was a do you, know, do you know of, I assume you know of this. And then I can't remember what it was specifically called, but I remember seeing it and it was just gorgeous and it was beautiful. And it was like education slash art at the same time. So tell me about this project. That's a thing that's published by the Gabriel Dumont Institute in okay. Saskatoon. The Gabriel Dumont Institute, I'm just going to plug them for a minute. Yeah, GDINS.org, GDINS.org. They are an educational institute. They also have a wing that's publishing. Oh, and they publish so many amazing resources. They collect things. They have an incredible museum and art gallery where they've been collecting Métis works for, for some time. Uh, that's right in Saskatoon. And it's one of the shining examples of Métis excellence, you know. And I would say if you get a chance to go to the museum or the art gallery at GDI and Gabriel Dumont Institute in Saskatoon, do it. It's not large, but it's beautiful. They have a lot of beautiful original works plus historical works. And they have a little shop there where they're selling some of their books and things like that. So Medicines to Help Us is the publication that we worked on. It's a piece of art that they had commissioned from me. One of the first commissions that I ever got and they wanted to make it into a resource for teaching. So that box that you referred to is a box of puzzle pieces. It's not really puzzles, like a traditional puzzle, but there's these study cards with like a medicine, a plant yeah. on it, picture from the painting. So the painting is used as a, as a way to teach. So each plant is shown on the study card. The name of the plant is in, if we were able to get it, it's in Machif or Cree yeah. or Nishnabemwin. And then there's a little blurb on maybe some of the medicinal properties of that plant. And then on the back, it's a piece of the the overall painting. So that those eight by 10 cards yeah. or eight by 11, however big they are, can then be put together on the floor with kids who can piece it together and make it into like a big sort of painting of life size. So that, that's what that is. Yeah. I wonder if it's still available through their website, through their, their gallery. It is. And they okay. even have just the book available too, oh. which is like a little, like a, almost like a field guide. Yeah. It's very, it's very thin. It's not, yeah. 
there, there's not a lot of content there in terms of like if you're if you're already like into plants and you're already into yeah. field guides and stuff, yeah. this is not going to be an no, addition for, to for your people like me. Like I, I know nothing, so this would be a, right. amazing. And my kids, I have four little children, so that would be amazing for them. Yes, see that okay. that's where it works well. It works okay. well with introductions into the plant world. Very cool. Very cool. I, I recently was staying at an Airbnb and they had these scavenger hunt kits. So it was like a little mini Tupperware with a picture of all these different things for them to find, which included like a plastic piece and a tin piece. So they were like picking up garbage with this game and then finding other pieces that are fallen pieces on the ground. And then they came back and we got to put the garbage in the garbage. But it was so neat to introduce them to plant life for the first time through scavenger hunting. Hey, that is very cool. That's a great idea. Where can people find you? They can see your art in Saskatoon, which I'm sad now. I didn't know about that. I was at Batash all day. I wish I knew about this gallery. Next time I go, I'm going to go. But where can they find your art, buy your art, learn more about you? Yeah. Th- just to say about the one in yeah. Saskatoon, yeah, um, I've done a series of portraits and the Gabriel Dumont Institute is the, the gallery yeah. or the institute that owns all of them. Okay. I don't, I haven't done any portraits outside of they have the entire collection of wow. all of the portraits I've ever done are they living and alive people that you did portraits of some of them are are yeah. still living yep yeah some of them sadly have passed away like yeah the great Harry Daniels and yeah. Uh, yeah. Steve Pauli and yeah. there's people that, they were alive when I started okay oh, but amazing. they have passed since now except for Gabriel Dumont and and Louis Riel, I added yeah. those portraits in after and also a very small one of Jim Brady. Now, did you do Louis Riel full beard or did you do him in his mustache times? I did beard. I did beard. Full beard. Yeah, yeah I did full beard with the thick sort of wool jacket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like yeah. that. That's, that's, that's what I did. And I did Gabriel Dumont older too. Yeah. Oh, nice. Because I, I just, there's something about, you know, I like, it's hard to paint older portraits of yes. people who are older because yeah. it's like our skin is wrinkled and that's a lot more details you got to get in there mm-hmm. and it's it's not it's not easy but i like the idea of thinking about that person wishing that i could speak to them asking them uh, uh the the winter years the winter seasons of their life what you know did they learn what would they have done differently you know those mm-hmm. kinds of things Knowing now what you know now, what would you have done differently? You know, what is it that you that you would have put more into? You know, because everybody has those kinds of thoughts, right? Oh, I if I had have known that you know when I was younger and could run, that running would be something that I would enjoy later in life. But now I'm getting injured, I would have ran more. You know, simple things like that. I wouldn't have smoked if I if I had a if I could do a redo. I think that's one of my number one hmm. things that I never would have done. I never would have started smoking. Huh. I mean, I haven't smoked for five years now. And then be, prior to that, I smoked for two. And then I, well, I didn't smoke for five again. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I really would have not done that to myself, you know? So there's things like that, like that, that people would think I, I would have been more brave, you know? Okay. I would have uh, visited my family mm-hmm. more. I would have asked more questions. Mm-hmm. Lots of people say that. Yeah. You know, nobody ever says, I wish I had worked more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Wow. Everybody always says, I wish I had have sat down with my grandma. 
and asked mm. her questions when I had the chance. I was just too busy yeah. going on with my life. Everybody yeah. says that. So mm. interesting to look. I'd love to speak to Gabriel Dumont yeah. and Louis Riel and say, what really happened? Yeah. Yeah. Tell, tell me what really happened. How was it? You know, what were the things that, that we have wrong in this generation? Mm. What did we get wrong about, the, about our history? Mm. The idea that we're all separate from First Nations, the idea that that we're unilingual or that, uh, that, I don't know, we didn't side with Canada back then. Did you, did you find your wool wool capotes or capote jackets itchy? (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a jacket? Do you have a wool coat? On my list, but yeah. Did you freeze your feet off in those moccasins? (laughs) Yeah. Do you have a capote jacket? How do you say it? Capote or capote? What's that? What, what, what? I don't know. Do you have one though? Do you have one of those coats? No. No. Do you, do you want one? That's a hard question. As a Métis person, do you feel like you should wear a capote jacket because it's like our traditional no. jacket? Okay. No. <laughs> no. And I don't wear a sash either because that's yeah. a man's regalia. Yeah. And yeah. it doesn't match anything. No. <laughs> sash looks terrible no matter what you wear. Unless you're a guy and you're wearing it around your waist, then it yeah. looks good. You know, yeah. I, I, you think, go. I think men look great wearing yeah. sashes around their waist. I personally think that when women put them on, it yeah. clashes with everything that you have in your closet. Even mm-hmm. when you wear pure black, the yeah. sash looks terrible. There's nothing you can do as a woman to wear a sash that looks nice. But that's just my opinion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've seen I've seen like a purple sash that I think the the BC office did, you know, in honor of women. They did a purple version, and I've seen the Terry Fox version is quite not nice. They did a Terry Fox collaborative sash that was quite cool so yeah never um, i will never wear a sash yeah. as a woman plus it is a it's a men's piece of yeah it's a men's item of clothing and yeah no so, not to say that women can't wear it or yeah. anybody can't wear it i just yeah. choose not to interesting fact i think i don't know if i told you this but you speaking of portraits you will have your portrait done by metis artist nevada christensen as part of this podcast series so i don't know if you've had your portrait oh hey that i'm looking forward to seeing that yeah. Yeah. I, I got mine done. I didn't know I the host was going to get one. And I, I and then she gifted it to me because it was done on metal. But I don't know what to do with it now, though, because it's in my office. And I'm like, I don't want to put it up. It seems like, you know, that seems strange. Just so put I put it up. Put it up. No, but it, it seems very like the you know, when you go on the ferries here in BC, there's the queen, the portrait of the queen on the end of the ferry. Or, you know, it's like, you know, it, it seems uh, a bit inappropriate, but maybe I'll find a use for it somewhere, someplace. So going back to the question, where can people find you? Where can they get your art? Yeah, well, I'm on social media. Yeah. So Twitter, Facebook, that's mostly it. I mean, yeah. I, I, I check in at Instagram and I look at all this stuff on Instagram, but I very yeah. rarely post on there. I'm not on TikTok. I keep putting it on my phone. And then I look at it and then I just feel absolutely icky yeah. after watching it. I feel just yeah. gross. There's something about TikTok that makes me feel just really yuck. You know what? To encourage you, it's because it's like cigarettes. Because it, cigarettes, much like they're addictive, TikTok is, is famous for its addictive nature. Mm-hmm. And so you, as someone who's maybe had you know, an addiction to cigarettes, you'll know that, whoa, I'm experiencing something that is highly addictive. Yeah, it's addictive and it's too much all the time. Yeah. Oh, it yeah. does the thinking for you. Yeah. So yeah. It, it, it takes over your brain and it yeah. just 
it's like you're just absorbing and not able to process what it is that you're seeing. Yeah. There's a lot of things like that you see that are violent on there. Yeah. And a lot of things that are not cool, like yeah. this, like the ones that I was looking at. Well, I wasn't seeking it out or anything, but yeah. there were people that were just for and giggles throwing down a whole thing of dollar store glitter into the back of their toilet and flushing. So the yeah. flushes look pretty. And I'm like, microplastics into fish yeah. into the oceans. Great. Yeah. You know, like that there's no consciousness amongst the wider population mm. and the public about environmental things, even like cleaning products, yeah. you know, so you watch like yeah. people cleaning their houses, which I yeah. think is sometimes it's cool to get tips on cleaning. And yeah. then it's just like these products that are so bad yeah. for the environment. And it's just tons and tons and tons of them being used with mm. nobody even thinking about where the water goes afterwards. And yeah. so it just becomes a really depressing thing to witness knowing that, okay, we're in the middle of climate change or a climate mm. crisis. The waters are getting poisoned. They're getting depleted. People are running out of fresh water all over the world. And there's corporations who are supplying massive chemicals and plastics, such as the glitter and the cleaning products without any consequences whatsoever. The onus is put onto the consumer to somehow yeah. protect the environment. But then you have a lot of people that just are completely unaware yeah. and they just use these things, not, not putting two and two together, not really understanding they might be masters of, of subjects in their own life, but they're not masters of those ones. And so they just don't have an understanding of what happens when they flush the toilet and when they yeah. put water down the drain. And they don't maybe have never even heard of microplastics before. So it mm. all seems so innocent, you know, and, and so you're watching all of this in real time going, yeah, we're, we're screwed, you know. Yeah. And so I, yeah. I just don't want to feel that way. I want to feel yeah. I want to maintain a foundation of hopefulness. Yeah. And put good energy out into the world. Yeah. And I feel like I'm not doing that when I'm watching TikTok. Thank you for sharing that. That's helpful. It's very insightful for sure. And I'm going to do the plug then because you are not doing a great job at this. But I'm going to say you go to your website, Chrissy Belcourt. And, and I'll say this as someone who ordered art recently. You could go to the website, see some of the artwork there. We'll put the link in the show notes. And if you email the email that's on the site, they're going to send you the latest catalog of the recent prints that are available with the prices and the sizes. And then you can put an order in and that's the process to get yourself a Christy Belcourt print. Originals. You don't, do you have originals for sale on your site? I, I didn't see it. I just saw the prints. I'm getting a Shopify site to like streamline oh. all this to make it oh, nice. easier for people to order. Congrats. Right yeah. now, it's just my daughter and my friend Guy Freeman who's like yeah. handling the emails. And yeah. That's who I've been emailing with. Yeah, Guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I just yeah. like things low key. I'm not really into right. like promo and all that stuff. But the originals, yes, I'm going to have a number of originals for sale this fall. But I think that I might already have people on the list that are going to take them all. So what I'm doing is I'm sort of creating a list for people who want originals. And if yeah. you want originals, yeah. you email belcourtprints at gmail.com. And you go on the list and if in five years I have something available and you're the number, you're, yeah. you've made it to the top of the list because yeah. as people buy them, they get removed off the list and whatnot. So eventually you will get an email saying something's available and you'll be given first rights of refusal. Nice. <laughs> just that's the way it's going to go. Chrissy, I wish I could show you and, and just kind of bring you to Vancouver for an afternoon to show you Douglas Copeland, a Vancouver artist took um, plastics that he picked up from the, the, the ocean shores because uh, he got 
offered to commission a piece of the Vancouver Aquarium and did an entire sculpture out of just ocean garbage that were, was picked up on the Vancouver shores just to show people, look what happens to plastics and, and plastics that actually even came over from Japan, plastics that we had thrown into the, the oceans. And so it was, a, and, and all throughout the exhibit was education about what plastic does to our oceans and how the plastic breaks down in the microplastics. So I feel like you two would, are, are very kindred spirits in that sense of using art as a way to make education digestible. Of course, I've heard of him. So I'll look up the piece. I, I may have even have seen it and just not, you know, consciously put that two and two yeah, together. Yeah. I think it's uh, the oceans are something that we have to turn our minds to, even for people yeah. who live inland, because the oceans supply 50% of the world's oxygen. Yes. Most people don't realize that. They think of the oxygen that just comes from trees or plants or whatnot. But 50% of the world's oxygen comes from the oceans and it comes from the, the plants within the oceans. All the fish and everything are carbon sinks. Yeah. And without the fish in the ocean, by fishing out the ocean, they aren't able to do their jobs of absorbing the carbon. And so our oceans are definitely something that we have to turn our minds to and start to speak up for. Chrissy, thank you for joining us today. Anything else you want to leave with listeners? Oh, no, that's it. <laughs> that's lots. Thanks. Thanks very pleasure. much for having me on. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Everyone, this was Christy Belcourt for the Métis Speaker Series. And uh, check her out more in the, the notes we put below, in the podcast notes and in the video notes. And we'll see you next time on the Métis Speaker Series. This has been the Métis Speaker Series podcast. I'm Darian Kovacs. Thanks to Métis Nation BC for making this possible with funding provided by the Civil Forfeiture Office's Indigenous Healing Stream. You can listen to all of our episodes, learn more about the podcast, and sign up to the Métis Nation of BC newsletter to stay up to date on Métis news at metispodcastseries.ca. You can find out more about the music we're playing by Love Life by visiting SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash lovelifeofficial, L-U-V-L-Y-F official, and link in the show notes for your convenience. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast listening device. See you again soon. Mina Kawapa Mitten. Thank you, Marcy, for listening. <laughs> <laughs>